We shall continue with our study on the book of the Acts of the Apostles, part 7. After we receive Christ, His life, which is eternal life, begins to flow into us to change our nature, transforming us from sinful and love and sin-loving people to righteous and sin-hating people. Falling from this, the life of Christ continues to flow within us to produce and maintain fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in us, so that Christ can express His life and mission through us, enabling us to live for Him here on earth as His ambassadors, evangelizing and winning souls for Christ, teaching Christ's doctrines, working miracles, and generally doing good works. Those we, Christ's disciples, can also say, we do what we see the Father do, and as we hear our Father speak, so we judge. Indeed, true Christian discipleship must result in the disciple living the life of Christ, or having the life of Christ live through him. Christian discipleship cannot and should not be an academic dis- discipline culminating in the award of a certificate. Rather, it must be and really is the spiritual discipline by which the nature of Christ is worked or formed in the disciple, thus enabling him to live and do as Christ lived and did. The necessity of the life of Christ lived through the disciple is to enable him accomplish God's work. The work of God is only, I stress the word only, acceptable to God when it is done by someone manifesting the divine nature. What we are trying to say here is that a sinner cannot do the work of God and God accepts it. It's not possible. The divine nature must be manifested for God to accept it. The believer in Christ who has allowed the Holy Spirit to transform him into the image of Christ can thus become the heart and hands of God in a dark and sinful world displaying the love, forgiveness and goodness of God to countless numbers of people all over the world. As we Christ's disciples interact with the unbeliever, we manifest God's glory through the preaching of the word of God, the the working of miracles, the teaching of doctrines of Christ, and so on. Thus the Lord Jesus asserted in John chapter 9, 4 to 5, the Amplified Version, we must work the works of him who sent me and be busy with his business while it is daylight. Night is coming on when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the world's light. And this is the essence of the acts. Doing the work of God. It is God's intention to ensure that the world know him and the salvation he has brought and freely offers to man. God never intended that we be cocooned in a building or camp isolated from the world. We, we, note that, we noted that last week in John 17, 15 and 16. Where we said, he told us we are, we are not of this world, we are in the world. We should, we should be kept from the evil one but not taken out of the world. There is work to be done, but it can only be acceptably done when we have been properly discipled and when we can practically demonstrate the divine nature in our daily interaction with other people without being enticed by the lure of sin and the world or offended or tripped up by the entrapment of Satan's wiles. It is thus essential that before the acts, there must first be a becoming like Christ. And before the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there must first be the producing of the fruit of the Spirit. Otherwise, we would have a most ineffectual and ineffective ministry. May the Lord help us all in Jesus' name. Let's read our scripture text. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. 
and Matthew 13 verse 19. Acts chapter 1 verse 1 to 3. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 13 verse 19. Matthew chapter 13 verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. Praise the name of the Lord. Now that we have taken time to explain what is needed before we get into the Acts, we shall now take some time to understand the Acts of the Apostles. To appreciate what we intend to achieve by our study over the next few weeks, we need to define our terms. Acts refer to actions, activities, deeds, ministry, and the like. While Apostles refer to those who have been called, chosen, sanctified, and sent by the Lord Jesus to do the work of God. We are going somewhere with this. So let's just quickly look at a few verses of scripture before we get into the uh, nitty gritty of the study for today. In Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3 from verse 13 to 15, Mark 3 from 13 to 15, and he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed or chose twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. We've looked at this verse of scripture a number of times. The bottom line here is that these are people that the Lord called, chose, and they were close to him. He, he taught them quite a number of things for one purpose, that he might send them out to preach the good news of the kingdom and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. In John chapter 20, John chapter 20, verse 21 through to 22, John 20, 21, 22, so Jesus said to them again, that's to the disciples, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. In verse 22 he said, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. That was all he gave them. The Holy Spirit. He didn't give them money. He didn't give them anything. He just breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Acts 10, 38, the Bible tells us how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So the apostles are those people who have been called, chosen, sanctified, and sent by the Lord himself to go forth and do the work of God. Hence, in our next set of studies, we intend to comprehend, note that, comprehend, we want to understand, we want to appreciate what acts, actions, activities, deeds, and ministry, the apostles, those called, chosen, sanctified, and sent by the Lord Jesus should engage in? What are these acts that they should engage in? And how are they to go about such acts? Essentially, the acceptable work of God. So, 
we have a main um, theme, understanding the acts of the apostles, and we have a, a subtitle, continuity. Now, let's go back to our scripture texts. In Matthew chapter 13, I start with the second one, verse 19. Something very crucial is noted there. This was the parable of the sower. And the Lord just was referring here to the wayside soil or the wayside heart when the, the farmer was casting out seed, sowing seed. He said some fell by the wayside. And he described this group of people. He said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, what happens then? The wicked one, Satan, comes and does what? Snatches. It's very interesting that he didn't say he takes it away. He uses a very violent word. He does what? He snatches it. Why is he snatching it? Because if that seed can enter into your heart with understanding, your life will be changed. What we have today of the acts of many people who claim, because that's what it has to be, who claim to have been called, chosen, sanctified, and sent, is anything but the acts of the apostles. And so we need to have understanding. I think it's Proverbs 29:18. So where there's no revelation of the word of God. In fact, the Amplified says, where there's no revelation of the redemptive purpose of God, the people cast off restraint. What we see today in many churches, sadly, is a people who don't have a revelation of the redemptive purpose of God. For example, when we talk of, oh, I, I want a house, what is the redemptive purpose for wanting that house? When we talk of money, what is the redemptive purpose of money? There must be a redemptive purpose behind it for that thing to be effectual and effective in your life. Now, when we don't understand this, Satan comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. And the fellow becomes completely unfruitful, unproductive, even though he's in church. People go to church every Sunday and they don't hear anything. Now, our first Bible text, that's Acts 1, 1 to 3, reveals four considerations that will help us to understand the acts of the apostles. We are going to begin with the first, which is found in the first verse, where he said, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. The operational word is began, implying that there is a continuity of what was begun. The Lord just began to do some things, began to teach certain doctrines, but he did not, he did not put an end to it. Sometimes when people are talking about spiritual gifts, for example, I've heard that, and I'm sure some of you have heard, where they say that the spiritual gifts began and ended with the apostles. How many of you have heard of that? That the first apostles, after that, no more spiritual gifts. We are just here to coast. But no more spiritual gifts. It's now reserved for certain people. And so we have certain people who come up and display certain things, and we're excited. We fail to realize that the Bible talks about um, lying wonders. That there are lying wonders all over the place. And we need to be very, very careful. So we want to understand the acts of the apostles. We want to understand the actions, their activities, their deeds, the ministry of these people. When we talk of apostles, I'm not talking of apostles in the sense of somebody who is ordained to be an apostle. No. I'm talking of somebody who has been called and chosen by God and sanctified. What makes you an apostle is that last bit. Sent. The Greek, the, the, the people who study Greek tell us that... The, the Greek name for apostle is apostolos, which means one sent. So you become an apostle the moment the Lord has sent you. to God. It's not a titular thing. It's a functional name. And we need to understand that. So we begin this evening by looking at John chapter 12 
uh, sorry, John chapter 14, reading from verse 12 to 17. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I've said this before, this was while Jesus was still alive, before the crucifixion and resurrection, that he said he will be in you. But today, he is in you. He won't be using the will be. He will say he is in you, if indeed you believe. So, in these verses of scripture, we find the Lord Jesus handing over the baton, as it were, to his disciples. Saying to them, the works that you see me do, you are going to do these works and even greater works than this. And part of it is shrouded in the matter of prayer. Because he says in verse 13, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What are we asking now? What are these things that we are going to be asking? Please, can somebody answer that? Yes, that's one. In the context of verse 12, the greater works. So you see somebody who is sick, you cry to God concerning that person, he will be healed. You see somebody who is oppressed of Satan, you cry to God concerning that person, Satan will flee. Do you understand? So it ties in with what we heard earlier. Pray without season. We are not going to start praying when we see the fellow. We are already prayed up, so we are coming to release. And by the time we look at some of the other considerations in the weeks to come, you are going to find this aspect of prayer as very, very critical. It is the time when we spend time communing with God about the matters of his kingdom, where he gives us instructions and directs us on where to go, who to see, what we are to expect, and so on and so forth. And so he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Today, we find people asking, in the name of the God of pastor so-and-so, in the name of the God of bishop so-and-so, it doesn't matter who the pastor or bishop is. But that's not what the, that's not what the Lord said. He said we should ask in whose name? In his name. It's very easy. Look, what it takes to deviate from the truth is just one little, one slide, 0.01% off. Check that thing. 15 years from now, you are far away from the truth. And that's, what has, that's what's been happening to us. People have been toying with the truth, tinkering minor deviations here and there. And before long, we don't even know what the truth is anymore. A time will come when people will begin to debate over the word of God. Today we are arguing over the inerrancy of the word of God. We are saying that there is no error in the word of God. Why should we be discussing that? Because people are now telling us that, no, 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 no. When Paul was writing this thing, this was what Paul meant. Thank God we have established that even when Paul was writing, who was actually writing? It was the Holy Spirit. He mainly used human hands to document it. So we don't quarrel with the word of God. We don't query it. We don't question it. And then he goes on verse and says, If you love me, keep my commandments. The mark of somebody who loves God is that he is an obedient person. He keeps the commandments of God. And the Lord Jesus promised us that he is going to send to us a helper. The, 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 the Greek word for it is paraclete. One who is close next to you. That is a, somebody who is never going to leave your side. That's basically what it means. Somebody who is 
who is annexed as it were to you, never to leave your side. So he has promised us a helper who is next to us. So that if we ever need any help whatsoever, the Holy Spirit is there to give that help to us. In John 17, verse 18, in the course of praying for praying to God for the apostles, he said to them, he said concerning uh, to the Lord, concerning them, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. It is crucial that we must understand that continuity, as far as the work of God is concerned, must begin with being sent. When you run a relay race, you know, those who, who understand the race, you are allowed to take, I think, is it five or ten steps? No, less, I think, less than ten steps. I can't remember how many steps. You take maybe four or five steps before you receive the baton. You don't leave your mark and go to the back and say, give me the baton. It must be handed to you. And then you, you continue with the race. So the Lord Jesus, as it were, handed a baton to his apostles at that time. And they handed over to other people and so on and so forth until it's now our turn. That brings me to discuss a very, very critical matter that will help us to understand this whole thing. If somebody gives you a 24 karat chain, by the way, what is a chain? A chain are links. Anything that is linked together is a chain. It remains a chain as long as you are using the same materials, the same consistency of materials in each link. Let me give you an illustration, which is what I was trying to do now. If somebody says to you, this is a 24 karat chain, means every link in that chain is what? 24 carats. If you put a 118 carat in that 118 carat link in that chain, what has happened to that chain? It ceases to be 24 carats. In other words, one, its value drops. Two, its integrity is off. Right? Now, when the Lord Jesus handed over the baton, he was a link and he linked to another set of links. Right? The apostles. When they finished, they also handed over the baton to another link. Right? So, over the centuries, we have had many links in this chain. But every now and again, we find a problem in the chain. Instead of a link hooking up to the chain, somebody ties a rope. And then somebody else looks at the rope and says, well, it's a rope. So they tie another rope. Before long, what you have at the next end is no longer a tight rope, but a thread. Because the quality of the material is dropping with each batting, with each time, with each time, with each time. What we now have today is a link of many ropes. And some people have now tied a thread and have told us this is the church of God. This is the work of God. So what do we have in the church of God today? Prosperity. Build house. We are preaching the gospel as though we are not going to heaven. We are preaching it as though earth is where we belong. We preach about greatness. The same very things that the Bible preaches against, that's what we are now preaching inside the church of God. So what we have is we have a disruption in the link. And we have had these ropes moving. Very soon, there will be nothing even attached. And we'll be happy. Because we say God has freed us from all these things. What we are trying to do now is to maintain the integrity of the chain of the work of God. If we are going to maintain that integrity, we cannot, you know, you cannot now bring a, a link that has the consistency of the link that the apostles used and tie it to a thread. Does it give us a chain? Because the material... So we must go to the last place where the last link that had the consistency of the work of God stopped and bring this link and attach it to it. We must cut off the rope and maintain the consistency of the chain. Otherwise, 
what we are going to hand over is going to be nothing. Look at America today. In 1965, a woman rose up. One woman. Don't know what happened. Her son would come home. Maybe the son was praying or what. I don't know what happened. But the woman one day just rose up and decided that prayer was wrong. That it was indoctrinating children. And she went to court. Court struck it down. She continued to go until she got to the Supreme Court. At the Supreme Court, she won. They banned prayers from schools in the United States of America. So you cannot pray in any school in America. You cannot even read the Bible in any school in America. That's the nation we are all copying. God, God will have mercy on us all. And so today, now imagine a child in 1965. How old is that child today? 51 years old. So children, or rather, we don't call them children anymore. Adults of 50 and above in America. 50 and below. Or let's say 51, 52, 53 and below in America don't know what is called prayer. We say 50 and below. They don't know what is called. In fact, they don't care about prayer. That's what I mean by thread. Now they have nothing. All you need to listen to is the news coming out of America. Where teenagers, teenagers, 13 year olds, 14 year olds get guns and kill people. They take guns to their schools and mow down their classmates. And what is America's solution to the problem? Gun control. I'm, I'm all for gun control. I believe they need to control guns. But that's not the solution. That is what we call a, a cosmetic solution. What's the real solution? It's the heart of man. For as long as the heart of man is far away from God, any solution you bring is cosmetic. So even the churches in America have lost touch with the revivals that took place in that land decades ago. All you need to do is tune on to the TV and watch and listen to their messages. If you want to listen to a godly message, look for a man that is old, in his 70s and gray-haired, that is not doing razzmatazz. Tune to that channel and listen. You will hear the word of God. Now, if you want to hear nonsense, now look for a young person like you. You will hear nonsense. So we don't want to go that way. Do you understand? The Lord has given us his word. We must, we have a, we are a link. We must link back to what now? That word. So that those who come after us will have a link to hook onto. And what is that thing that they are hooking onto? The word of God. Even the Bible, knowing a time like this will come, warned us not to engage anybody in people who like to tell stories and fables. That's what we hear today. If you go to Second Timothy chapter 4, I know it's not in the outline, but let's go there. From verse 1. It says, I charge you therefore before God. And I'm charging all of us today, myself inclusive. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Do what? Preach the word. Stop preaching your sense. Stop preaching Harvard. Preach the word. It doesn't have to make sense. Just preach the word. Be ready in season and out of... Be ready... There's nothing like saying, I'm not ready. What do you mean by you're not ready? When you're going out, you don't know that as you're going out, you're going on a mission. Do you think the Lord Jesus was ready every time? But he was ready in season and out of season. Whether it's the time for evangelism or it is time for a party, be ready. At that party, you might be sitting down next to an unbeliever. Who may die any minute from that time? Or who, if you don't preach to him, can become the most notorious armed robber. Killing people in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. I want to go over that again. Convince, rebuke. We hate rebuke in the church of God. When we hear rebuke, we say, oh, they are judging me. This church, they are too judgmental. No! Rebuke is part of it. Exhort. 
Exhort does, exhortation does not mean that we are encouraging you to sin. No. We are encouraging you to walk worthy of the calling whereunto you have been called. With all long suffering. It's, it's, you know why it's telling us long suffering? Because you can give up. Merely talking to the same people for years and not seeing change, you will give up. But it says with all long suffering, just keep at it. Just keep at it. They won't change, but keep at it. Keep at it. God told Ezekiel the same thing. He said, I'm not sending you to a strange people. Though. They, they, they are, they, those people, they are, their skin is tough. But I have given you a head of granite. As they are coming with a strong face, you attack with a strong face. We will we, we meet one another. And teaching. We cannot keep preaching, preaching, preaching and not teach. We have mentioned, we've gone over this, so we don't want to spend too much time there. Verse 3. For the time will come. Can we use will come again? No. But if for the time has come and is now, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they had itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure what? Afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. He wasn't talking to an evangelist here. Who was he talking to? A pastor. But he said he should do work of what? What is the work of an evangelist? Go out, share the good news, win souls. Do that work in addition to the work of pastoring. Whatever you have been called to do, evangelism must form a part. Look, we are getting into very critical times. A time is coming when there will be no button to hand over. The older generation is going out. Look at the younger generation. I don't see any one of them holding a button worth handing over to anybody. We need to be very careful. It must not be said that in the 21st century, the church of God entered into the dark ages again. You need to go through church history. There was a time in church history. Why do you think they call us Protestants? We are called Protestants. I'm sure sure you know that. Why didn't they call us Protestants? Because the time came when we protested against the Catholic Church. They became powerful politically and didn't care about anybody again. They they gave people paid indulgences. What What does that mean? You want to commit a crime tomorrow. You go for confession. Say, Father, I'm about to sin. I want to kill somebody who annoyed me. What can I pay? What penance can I pay? They will tell you what to pay. Usually it was money. And so people were paying money into their coffers. The church became rich. So they, they, they didn't care. They could kill anybody they want to kill. Just pay your indulgence. And the, the Pope told them. In fact, the Pope used to threaten kings in those days. He says, kings can lock anybody up in prison. But the Pope can shut the gates of heaven against any king. All the kings were afraid of the Pope. Until one young man read the Bible. I said, something is wrong with this thing. And went to, I forgot what they called that, but I said the place of Worms, a, town, a, a city called Worms, Martin Luther, and knocked his thesis on the board against all the practices of the church. And he fled. They were looking for him. Because those days it was heresy. To speak against it is heresy. They burn you at the stakes or kill you, whatever. He fled to his native country, Germany. Then they brought him back and he came. And when he stood before them to defend himself, God just gave him favor. They had planned already that what, no matter what he says, he's to be condemned to death. By the time he finished giving his testimony, the, the hall was divided. They didn't know what to do. So he was free to go. But they had also planned that they, even if he escaped, if he left that hall, they were going to kill him. Somehow, God allowed him. He got back to Germany. That gave birth to the Lutheran church that we have today. It was never his intention to start a church. But he saw that people were tying rope to the link. And he said, no, 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 we can't continue with this. Let's take a link and attach to the proper link. And that was how the Lutheran Church was formed. And we're all called Protestants. Today, we see the same thing. We're seeing our big denominational churches straying away from the Word of God and doing what they like. 
And we can no longer hitch to that carriage. We must take the link, which is the word of God, back to the last place and attach it and continue. Now, when we talk of the Lord Jesus beginning and we talk of continuity, I need to quickly make a note before we fall prey of something. In John 19 verse 30, there's a statement that the Lord made when he hung on the cross. The Bible says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He said what? It is what? What was finished? The work of God is global, but it is specific to certain people. There was a specific work the Lord Jesus had to come and do. He finished it. Remember what he said in John chapter 4. I think it's verse 34. So he said, my will is to do, my meat rather, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish it. But there's, the, there's still the global work. For example, he said to them, the, the harvest indeed is plenty, but the laborers are few. Pray to the God of the harvest that he send what? Laborers. So there's the work of soul winning and so many teachings and other things. We are to continue to do that. But when it comes to the work of salvation, the cross, he has died once and for all. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. I'll just read a few verses there. 11 and 12 and 24 to 28. Hebrews 9, 11 and 12. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of his creation, not with the blood of goats and cows, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Now let's go to 24 to 28. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once. To bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for So that matter has been settled. God has not called you to become a savior to somebody. There is a savior already. So this new notion of deliverance that is unending cannot be scriptural. Because the deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ, once and for all brought deliverance. Except that man is walking back into sin. Then he needs to be taught. He needs to be brought and sat down to, and, and taught. It is okay to bring deliverance to somebody. To pray deliverance for somebody. However, after he has been delivered, he must be taught. Just like the madman of Gadara. When they came and found him, where, where was he? At Jesus' feet. Doing what? Learning. So we need to teach. It's important to understand that. And now, I also need to point out Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. A very interesting statement that... Paul made. And it can be very, very confusing. This is Paul writing by the Spirit of God, of course. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. What does this statement really mean? Does it mean that we are going to, that there was something lacking when Christ died for us? No. What it means is that, you see, the body of Christ, those, those who are church leaders, 
those who are leaders in the body of Christ, have been called to go through certain sufferings for the sake of the church as a part, their own sharing in the work of Christ. But it doesn't mean that their, their suffering is to be equated with the salvation that Christ brought. No. So a leader of the church should go through sufferings. It's expected. Let's, let's, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Because see, sometimes when we say these things, it seems like, ah, what's this fellow talking about? It's scriptural. Again, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 from verse 9. And we read that through to verse 13. For I think that God has displayed us, that is the apostles, last as men condemned to death. Is that in your Bible? For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. They, they were not talking of fanciful cars or some fanciful dressings. They were saying, look at God displaying us as condemned men to be ridiculed by the world. Verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake. Remember I've told you many times, you are supposed to be a mumu for the sake of Christ. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. This is the, this, 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 we're talking of church leadership here. Verse 11. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and boneless. Please, I need help. Because I find that there are ropes at the end of certain of, of, of the chains or, or the link of, 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 of yesteryears. Today, pastors' homes must be a mansion built from the sweat of the congregants. I don't know how true it is, but I'm told that many of the schools that churches are building are registered in the names of the pastors. We need to be very careful the things that we are doing. Do the scriptures support them? If you say God is old-fashioned, then we better be old-fashioned. Because the word of God had been written from the very foundation of the world. We are just reading it now, but it's been written since. By the time Paul and the others came on the scene, it was dictated to them, write these things. Somebody can say, oh, he was writing to the Corinthian church. Then it means that we, sh we, we should have no Bible to read. Because everything in the Bible had some specific people it was addressing. But it's still addressing us today. In verse 12, it says, and we labor Walking with our own hands. Being reviled, what do we do? We bless. Being persecuted, what do we do? We endure. We don't fold up and say, I'm not doing it again. We stay there. Verse 13. Being defamed, what do we do? We beg. Can you imagine? What do you normally do when they defame you? You go to court and file a defamation. Libel. 150 million. That's the value you put to your name. Say, he defamed my name. But what did he say we should do? He said, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world. The offscouring of all things until now. Do you know what, a, what an offscouring is? When you, when you cook food and it's burnt, the pot is scarred. So you need to scrape it out. Now that thing that you scraped out, do you eat it? What do you normally do? That's called an offscouring. It says that's what the apostles have become, an offscouring. Do you know that if we really teach the truth, we will never have too many people struggling to be church leaders? We are obscurities, brothers. Even our master said so himself. And we are going to see that as we go ahead. He said to them, when, when, remember one fellow who said, I will go with you wherever you go. He said, ah, have you seen that bed flying there? It has a nest that it's going to. Have you seen the foxes that come out at night? They have holes that they go to. Me, the son of man. Do you know what that means, son of man? The one who created the heavens and the earth. I don't even know where I'm going to lay my head. And then people run to church to, to help them for accommodation. As if the church was built to help people to have accommodation. But our master didn't have accommodation. So if you have no accommodation, welcome. That's the simple truth. That's the simple truth. Remember, I was talking to somebody the other day. 
I said, ah, you better be thanking God that you are not one of those that as we are stalking now, under the bridge in park, there is somebody who wants to sleep. The boys who are smoking hemp are disturbing him from sleeping. And you have a bed to sleep. Your own problem is there's no light. That's your own problem. The fan is not blowing me. What of the man who doesn't, he cannot even sleep, even when he wants to sleep, under the bridge. Because as he's sleeping, there are people who are going to, who are planning to do all kinds of horrible things to him. Either to steal his clothes, to even rape him. They're talking of men raping men now. Or even kill him and use his body parts for medicine. And he's, he has no place to sleep. Many of us don't understand Thanksgiving. If we understood it, we, we won't be joking. We, you know, you don't need anybody to remind you of that. Thanksgiving is, should be a, a daily affair. In First Peter chapter 5, First Peter speaks to us about church leaders again. The elders, an elder is in, in Christendom, an elder is not necessarily somebody who is advanced in age, even though that would be a plus. But an elder is somebody who is mature in spiritual things. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. What's he telling the elders? Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, that's having oversight. When you have oversight, you are making sure that every single sheep is eating as it should eat, is drinking as it should drink. You are sure that this one has not wandered off, you go and bring him back. Not by what? Compulsion. But how? Willingly, not for dishonest gain, but how? But what? Eager. It's not for the sake of money. Today, you hear something like, ah, outside politics, the next place is church. You will make money. That's, but that's, that's the statement they are making. And, and there was a time when I was a young believer, we, used, we knew of church rats. How many of you heard of church rats? It, it, it has to be the older people. You young people don't know church rats. In those days, they compared poverty to a church rat. He said, as poor as the church rats. Today, you can't use that expression. I think it was a book I was reading where they said uh, Francis of Assisi was walking with one of his bishops. And as they, as they passed by some cities in Europe, they saw the massive cathedrals that had been built. And this bishop said to Francis of Assisi, he said, the church can no longer say, silver or gold have I none. And Francis of Assisi turned to the bishop. He said, neither can the church say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. We traded the power and got more and took we, we, we sold the power away and took money took church buildings we are happy to build massive buildings we say this is the church the church is not a building the church are people we have not built the lives of the people go to europe and count how many people are in those cathedrals today in the united kingdom i hear those cathedrals are being leased out for shopping malls even mosques anybody who can pay because it's, it's expensive to maintain them now in nigeria the competition is to build the largest church enough in the world 50 years from now, how many people will be in those buildings? Have you built enough people that can stay in the building? In 2003, I think it was, I went to Alabama in the United States. And I was speaking to a pastor friend of mine. We were just discussing about the church. And he spoke of a particular church in, in uh, where he was, the city where he was in Alabama. He said that church, I think there are about 15 or so in the church. The youngest person is about 65. As at that time, was 65. And that was the pastor of the church. And he said that if they lose one member, they have to close down. Because the 15 people are the ones funding the building. They have not brought one new person into the building. What are they spending their money doing now? To maintain the building. No new souls. But these are the people who are speaking about the supremacy of the whites. And they are in church. It's happening here. It's happening here. When you speak the truth, the church will drop in numbers. When you speak lies, the place will be filled up. But we must persevere and continue. Because there are hungry souls out there. It's because they have not seen the option. That's why you see them still staying there. The day they see the place, they will go there. In verse 3, it says, Nor as being lords. 
over those entrusted to you. Who are the congregants? Eh? You, they were entrusted to your keeping. They don't belong to you. They are not your property. They are the flock of God. They are the sheep of God. Do you understand? You are what? A caretaker. A steward to take care of them. They have been entrusted to your care. So don't go as overlords. Say, well, you have to serve me. You have to do this. You have No! We expect them to do what they should do. But you are not an overlord. Like we said, you are the lead sheep among many sheep. But you are a sheep also. It says, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being what? Examples to the flock. That is church leadership. You are an example. We don't see those kind of examples anymore. And there's urgency for us to speak about the, what the, Lord, the burden the Lord Jesus handed over. The continuity. So, when we talk of the Acts of the Apostle, one of the four considerations is that it is a matter of continuity. Your actions must be a continuation of the actions, the activities, the deeds, the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot tell me that I am continuing what Paul did. If Paul did not do what Christ said, then that is not continuity. That's something else. You have, you have left the track. Do you understand? You are doing something else. Continuity is you are on the same track. You are doing what the Lord Jesus began both to do and teach. You cannot bring another doctrine and say, an angel told you at the night. If it does not correspond with the documented word of God in the Bible, throw it out. That's what the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 1. Because after Paul had finished preaching in, in, in the region of Galatia, some men came and began to preach circumcision. Today we are having all kinds of messages. God does not want you to be poor. I don't understand, honestly, I don't understand that message. Because I believe when the Lord Jesus was speaking about Lazarus, he meant what he was saying. Lazarus was a poor man and he ended up in heaven. In the 21st century church, do you think a Lazarus will ever go to heaven? I'm asking a question. Do you think we will tell a Lazarus in the 21st century that he's going to heaven? He's already condemned. He's a poor man. He's suffering. He's, his matter is finished. But thieves in the 21st century will tell them heaven is yours. That's why you see politicians going to all those big churches. Number one, they have the crowd. A politician and crowd, they are friends. So you gather the crowd, they come and, and, and tell the crowd, vote for me. You have, you have done the work that the man, politician, would have spent money doing. You have done it. You gather the people to come and hear a politician. When God brought them together to hear his word, you gather them for a politician to come and speak. For what purpose? Because the politician is going to give you a Ghana must go back. Is that the value of your own soul? What shall it profit a man if he gained the entire world and loses his soul? Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 to 13. We're talking of the continuity now. And the things that you have heard from me among how many witnesses? Many witnesses. Commit these to who? Faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is a big challenge in our generation today. We have no faithful men. When we talk of faithfulness, what is faithfulness? Faithfulness is to be trustworthy. The word of God cannot be committed to untrustworthy men. This is missing in our generation. Faithful men. We have men who want to make money overnight. We have men who want to be big men overnight. We have men who are messengers who have not read any book who want to become CEO of that company to show everybody that they can be CEO. Meanwhile, he doesn't have school certificates. But he comes to church to pray to be the CEO. And we the pastors tell him, pray, pray, prayer can do all this. God is not a magician. If indeed God wants that man to be a CEO, God will make a way for him to go and study and get his, his wask and go to university. Faithful men are lacking. So we have unfaithful men all over the place. Preaching the word of God, it has no power, it has no substance. You see what I mean by the thread instead of the link. So we have 24 carats from the time of Jesus 
of a particular time. After that, we're having rope. And we say it's a chain. Is it a chain? It's not a chain. So we must get back that 24 karat link and go back to the, where that thing stopped and hook it. That's when it is a chain. Verse 3. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Is that in your Bible? The Bible does not... I, know, I don't know where we get some of these things that we, that, we, that, we are, that we are spreading. The Bible does not promise us a holiday in the Bahamas where we are on the beach, all of us naked, with umbrellas, just enjoying under the sun, frolicking with gin and tonic, and the, the most beautiful women in the world. The Bible doesn't promise that. Maybe, 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 maybe we should arrange to go to the Northeast as a church for two weeks. I'm sure all of you will run away. Just take a trip to the Northeast for two weeks and see how soldiers live. Many of them, their wives, don't even know anything about their husbands. You you've heard in, in the reports where they say the wives of these soldiers who have died are not informed until much later. That's the, the, the soldier who went to sign. He knew what he was signing. There was a young man once who was telling somebody, say, ah, when those days of the military rule, one young major became a governor in Nigeria. So he was saying, that's my friend though. Say, how do you know him? Say, ah, we were in the same course in NDA. He said, ah, how come you are not in the army? He said, oh boy, when they gave somebody, they gave somebody open grenade to throw, and he was still looking at it, the thing exploded and the boy died. He said, the next day, I left the army. So you, do you understand the kind of training the ministry go to? That's the kind of training you are supposed to go through. Endure hardship. The more you cry, oh, it is painful, the more you notice the pain is coming. So what should you do? Enjoy it. And relief will come from God. Verse 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Please, what are the affairs of this life? I want build house. I want buy car. I want marry wife. Uh, uh, what are the other things? I want picking. Eh? I want pay school fees. Many of those things. Those are the affairs of this life. There's no soldier who bothers himself about those things. He, is, he knows that it is kill or be killed. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. I'm sure you have been reading in the papers now, people who are forfeiting their Olympic medals because they said they took drug enhancement, uh, they did muscle enhancement drugs, performance enhancement drugs. So they, they, they stripped them of their medals. In, in Christianity, nobody, they are not going to wait until you get the medal to strip you. You are already stripped because you are competing against the rules. What is the rule of competition here? What Christ has laid down. That's what we have to follow. The minute you bring your own, what has happened to that, to, to, your, to the medal you are waiting for? It doesn't exist anymore. God forbid that we are running church our own way and not by the word of God. Because it won't amount to anything. In verse 6, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Look, the word of God doesn't fail. Any farmer who has planted will eat of what he planted. Not to eat of what he planted may be a judgment from God. Otherwise, if you're a farmer, you eat of what you planted. I mean, I planted yams in my backyard there. I'm, I look at it every day. I'm visiting it and asking the people who know about yam, when is it ready for... I must surely harvest that yam. No matter how small it is. They say it's going to be short because the ground is not so. I say, no problem. Say that yam will come out. I go eat it. I'm waiting for it because it will certainly come. The same way, there is no way you work hard for the things in, in, in God's vineyard and you will lose your reward. You can't lose your reward. As long as you did it according to God's specification. In verse 7 it says, Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble 
as an evil doer, even to the point of change. But the word of God is not changed. Let me pause here. This became essential to write to Timothy. This was believed to be the last letter Paul wrote to Timothy. He was about to be executed when he wrote this. And many people had said that it is God's punishment because he was in, he was in prison. He was in chains. That how can a preacher of such a powerful message be in chains if not God, if God did not put it there. Indeed, God put him there. But not, not for the reasons that they are adducing. You know, remember that when Porti, when uh, was it? Fair, um, what's that fellow's name now? No. Pontius Pilate was trying the Lord Jesus and was asking him, are you not going to plead for your life? Are you don't have anything to say? What did he say? He said, if my father did not give you the power, you won't be able to do this. It's my father that has put it in your power. That's why you can do it. So please go ahead and pass the judgment. So he's warning us. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Even though he was, even though he was crucified, was he not raised up? He was. For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of change. But the word of God is not change. He was suffering as ostensibly an evildoer when he did not commit any wrong. Many of us are suffering for the wrong we did. Do you understand? He is suffering for doing no wrong. Verse 10. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of who? The elect. That they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We go through sufferings so that people can be saved. We are not the ones saving them. Christ is the one saving them. But through what we are going through Many get saved. I read a story that in the was it first or second century during the persecution of Christians in Carthage, which is modern day the Libya, Tunisia, Morocco, that region. Two women, a, two of them teenagers, one seventeen, the other one nineteen. The nineteen year old had a child. The seventeen year old had never been married, and they were being taken to the stakes to be killed. They were told to renounce Christ. They told the seventeen year old, "You will never see a man. You will never marry a man." Blah 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 blah. If except if you renounce Christ, then you can continue with your life. They told the nineteen year old, You will never see your child again. Yeah, except you if you renounce Christ, we'll give you your child. The two women went to the stakes. They were killed. But do you know what happened? After those two men were killed, the men and women of Carthage said there must be something that these two girls believed in. What is that thing? And salvation came to Carthage. How many of us are ready to die for this gospel? How many of us really believe this gospel to the point that we are ready to die? Once we hear Boko, you don't need to hear Aram. The church has emptied. Boko Aram is doing his job. You do your job. They killed the lady who was evangelizing in Abuja. Everybody uproar. Oh, Christians are being killed. It is not. Look, we need to teach this thing in the church. It is normal for Christians to be killed. If you are doing the work of God, you will be killed doing it. We need to tell you the truth. Every Sunday when I'm going out of evangelism, I have at the back of my mind that those boys who are smoking in their hemp, one of them can just say, this man is always disturbing us every time, and carry a knife and kill me. It is the truth. I have that back of my mind. And I always leave my home and say, Lord, take care of your daughter. Me? I'm going. This is the job we have been called to. Somebody can just get angry and pierce you with a knife. What will you do? It's the work of God you are doing. So be it. You must go with that at the back of your mind. But the Christianity we are, we are practicing today is what we call a yellow belly Christianity. A jelly sweet Christianity. It does not have power. It holds no water anywhere. It keeps nobody in Christ. There is no conviction in the church amongst the believers. We are not convinced about Christ. We mouth Jesus, 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 Jesus. Let them just give you a diagnosis that you have cancer. Oh Lord Jesus, I will not leave, I will not die, but live to proclaim the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. When you didn't have cancer, why did you not proclaim the name of God? Suddenly they told you you have cancer. You will not die, but live. I've told you people who are going for medical checkup, stop going. When you go, if, they, if I go for medical checkup, the doctors, everybody will vanish from the hospital because they say, why is this man still living? It's by the grace of God. <laughs> it's true. 
They might just get there and see one big tumor in one corner. And see one massive cancer in one corner. And see one, how is he surviving? I beg, leave him. Now God picking on. Now God they do him. Yes. What are you looking for? Why do you want to know? Why do you want to know? I always tell people one thing. Only God who made me knows how I am breathing. A machine cannot tell you how you are surviving. Many people, they found the cancer 10 years after it started. But they don't know when the cancer started. They do not tell you. They do not give you. You have three more months to live. And you are, afraid, you are afraid. If you know where you are going to, you know, it won't matter to you. But the truth of the matter is that many of us don't even know about heaven. That's why we want to buy a car. We want to build a house. We want to have this. We want to have that. So many things here on the earth. How many of you listened to, heard about this name, Jim Reeves? Only the older people. They, they, okay, your mom must have had the records. Your, your parents had the records. Of the, uh, that's the only way you can hear it. Yeah? These are some those are people who sang about heaven. Says the world is, this world is not my own. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid down somewhere beyond the sea. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know, I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what shall I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. You know, what's going on with us? What's wrong with us? What is wrong with us? Jesus died at 33. We, we, I, I went to somebody's uh, birthday. Was it somebody's birthday or something? I can't remember. I think it was a birthday. The person is already 70 or 80. They are praying, Mama, 100 more years. And somebody was saying, Amen. If I was a man, I was like, Come on, keep quiet. Who, who, 100 for who? I'm ready to go. They said, oh, You can't go. Who told you? I'm going. What do you mean you can't go? Meanwhile, at 180, nobody wants to come near you again. They say, No, you have to carry her to every place. You have no life again. That's the one you are praying for. When it is time, let us go. Praise the name of the Lord. Verse 11. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, what will happen? He also will deny us. Verse 13. If we are faithless, will God be faithless? He says he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. In other words, the nature of God is faithfulness. He can't change himself. So if you are going to be faithful, what do you need? You need the divine nature. The divine nature is the nature of faithfulness. When we see men who are faithless, we see men who don't have the nature of God. And these are the things that we are talking about. The battle is being handed over to faithful men who will continue what Christ continued. Christ did not live on earth to build mansions. Somebody said once that the donkey that Christ rode on is comparable to a limousine. I say, beautiful. Let's go on with that argument. Now, you ride your limousine to church and give it to the poor and go home walking. Did Christ go with that donkey again after that? Do you see how we use the scriptures and, and, and misbehave? If it was a limousine, then drive a limousine to your church. When you get to the church, come down from the limousine, enter the place, preach, and trek. Let somebody else take the limousine home. Faithful men. In Titus chapter 1, from verse 5 to verse 11. Again, Paul writing by the Spirit of God to Titus said, For this reason I left you in Crete. I left you in Crete for some reasons. That you should set in order the things that are what? Lacking. Brethren, when the Lord left, the church was not yet formed. I hope you know that. 
But the church was already formed inside these apostles. So when, by the time we, we enter into the depth of Acts, many months or years from now, you will see that at the formation of the church in Acts chapter 2, Peter spoke, 3,000 souls came, and the Bible says, they continued how? Steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. What were the apostles' doctrine? The doctrine of Christ. The teachings with the Lord Jesus began to teach. They now did what? They continued to teach it. The miracles that the Lord did, they did what? They continued. Even greater works. We know that Peter's shadows raised, uh, healed people and raised the dead. We know that they took handkerchief from Paul's body. Today, everybody is buying handkerchief to go to church. And then they will wave hand and say, pray over the handkerchief and then you go. The handkerchief has become an idol. One fellow was giving testimony in, in, his, in his church. He said, ah, uh, you know, one day somebody came to me with a problem. I went into my room and um, you, you know, I picked the, the mantle for, he called the particular program they had. Apparently they have mantle for every program. So he picked a particular mantle for that program. He had clipped it. I mean, that's the only explanation. He must have attached a paper to show that this mantle was for that program. This mantle is for this program. So he picked the appropriate mantle and came with that mantle and slapped the fellow with it and prayed over the fellow and the fellow was healed. That man has a shrine in his bedroom of different mantles. So the day his bank account is empty, he will bring the mantle of prosperity. I don't know how he's going to do it, whether he will go to the bank and ask for the bank account and slap the bank account or slap his uh, checkbook or slap the teller or slap the... I don't know what he's going to do. Or slap the ATM machine. I don't know what he's going to do. I went to a meeting once and the man of God said, those of you with a phone, bring your phone out. They brought the phone. Everybody brought the phone. He said, I'm going to pray a prayer. You are going to receive alert on your phone. Honestly speaking, I was perplexed. And people brought out their phone. People brought out their phone. And he prayed. I'm, I'm yet to hear the testimony. So somebody received alert. For, for no reason, somebody just, you just re- receive alert. Okay. It is, I don't know how they do it, but God will help us. For this reason, <laughs> let you increase. <laughs> that you should set in order the things that are... There are things lacking in the body. Faithful men are needed to build it up. And appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Who are these elders? If a man is blameless. The husband of one. Today we are having uh, men with two or three wives as bishops. Bishop. I mean they will do full bishop consecration with billboard and everything. Three wives. Divorced. Remarried. Bishop. Pastor. Is that man blameless? He has blame. He's blameful full of blame. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children. Have you seen how the Bible always tied the family to the man? They looked at your children before they ordained you in those days. Today, you know, nobody looks at that anymore. The criminals in society are the children of pastors and bishops. Some, some bishops are preaching on the altar. Their children are committing fornication. Their children are watching all kinds of things everywhere. Their children and them, they don't see eye to eye on the work that God has given to them. Having faithful children, not accused of dissipation and insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. When they say sober-minded, there are so many things that go with that word. Or that, that, that term. For example, he doesn't drive loud cars. He's not loud. He's sober. Even if he has a car, he's quiet. Today, I hear that pastors now have outriders. 
Abi, they have Bopol following them, pastors. Oh, somebody, when I went to preach, I went to uh, evangelize somebody some time ago. He asked me, he pointed, he said, why do pastors have security? I looked at the man and said, I came to preach the word of God to you. <laughs> it's true now. Leave the pastors alone. You, focus on the word of God. Do you know whether that pastor is going to heaven? I'm preaching to you about heaven. Leave that pastor alone. But you know, some people cannot, we cannot escape it. So there's sobriety in it. The Lord Jesus was sober. In fact, do you know that it was so bad for the Lord Jesus that they needed an insider to betray him. They didn't know him. They couldn't differentiate him from the others. So they needed Judas, somebody on the inside, to show them this is Jesus. He looked like them. They looked like him. Do we look like him? Today you can tell the pastor of a church. He's the one who has all the bling blings on. He's the one with the, what do you call it now? The, he's the one with the fattest Bible. And there are two, <laughs> he has a big stomach with a cross sitting on top of the, the stomach there. Uh, he's a pastor too, he's a bishop. Then, there, then there's a small cap to cover the baldness that is going on at the back. There are all kinds of things happening. The pastor's mustache is well trimmed. I mean, you would think you're looking at a Hollywood star. They interviewed one pastor on, on American TV. And they were asking some serious matter. That, will sinners go to hell? Honestly, I was shocked. The man was stammering. A pastor of what they call the largest church in America. He was stammering. And then, well, I, I suppose that God takes that decision. Ah! Does that man know what the Bible says? Ropes. Do you understand what we're saying? Ropes. No link to the chain. It must stop. Is it because of what we shall eat that we we'll deny the Lord Jesus? Our, our, our testimony is not convincing anybody. It is not convicting anybody. A friend of mine went to preach somewhere. He said to me, after the message, he came to me. He said, Ray, hmm, I use your testimony, the testimony of your salvation to preach. And souls were won. Some of our testimonies of how we became born again is, com- is more convicting than some of the messages we preach. There's no conviction. Because we don't believe anything anymore. We don't believe anything. Anything, everything is acceptable to us. There is no more, what do we call it now? Discrimination. We just accept everything in. Verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. A bishop should do what? Hold fast firmly to the word that they taught him. Today we no longer hold fast to the word of God. What are we holding to? Harvard. There's a, there's, a, there's a pastor in Nigeria here who has a big church. He has a special program on TV. It has nothing to do with religion. I don't, I don't begrudge him that. I mean, he's free to do whatever he wants to do. But what I cannot understand is I don't seem to see him on TV with the church. I see him on TV for himself, doing his business. But he has a big church. He's not, he's, not, he's not propagating the word of God. He's propagating leadership. You can preach leadership from now till tomorrow to the world. They will never change. Because the fundamental ingredient of change is not in them. That is Christ. Do you understand? We can teach it from now till tomorrow. The world will remain the same. In fact, it will get worse. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. That he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Hey, Bishop, you must know what you are saying. They, 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 they ask you a question and say, um, um, let's see next week. I will do some research. research. And he's not talking of researching the Bible. He's talking of going to a library to do a research. Verse 10. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. We have them today in our church. They are idle talkers. They are deceivers. We call them false teachers, false prophets, false preachers. How does a man, all he prophesies about, 
is good and there are sinners in the church. He didn't see that there is sin in that church. A fellow, a fellow shared with us once, he went to a church and as soon as he entered, he entered in a flowing robe. The prophet caught his eye and said, my brother, stand up. He stood up. He said, mm, you have two wives. And I said, no, I don't have two wives. <laughs> I'm a pastor. No, he said, no, he didn't say I'm a pastor. He said, no, he said, no. He doesn't have two wives. After the thing wanted to become an argument, he kept quiet. And the man continued to prophesy. He said, oh, na lie. How do you do that? You don't see. I remember once, I wasn't born again then. I went to see my mom. She was in one of these strange churches at the time. Thank God she's delivered from that. And she said to me that, oh, you need to come. You need to do work. I said, why? He said, because they say people are pursuing your father's family. I said, ha. I looked at my mother. I said, now, wow. This is your church with all the sin they see. They don't see when there's job opening in Shell. They don't see when there's job opening in mobile. It is somebody pursuing me, my father's father. That's the one they always see. I said, sorry, you go and do what you want to do. Me, um, I wasn't a born again person. I didn't even know God. But I wasn't interested in such rubbish. They don't see when they're opening jobs for people. But they see that they're pursuing you in your father's family. That's all they see. Deceivers, idle talkers. Verse 11. Whose mouths must be stopped? Who subvert whole households? Teaching things which they ought not. For the sake of dishonest gain. These are people, this, this is the reason why a button is being handed over to you. To stop their mouth, not to join them. Don't become an idle talker. Don't become a deceiver. The Bible says we prophesy according to the measure of faith that we have. If all God showed you is that the tree will go, will grow by six inches. Prophesy the tree will grow by the tree will grow by six inches. Don't prophesy it will be a tall tree. Did God show you is a tall tree? What did God show you? Six inches. Stop there. According to the measure of, if all you know is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish. Preach it on Sunday, preach it on Monday, preach it on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Saturday. On Sunday, again, one day, your faith will grow. On that same John 3.16, you will preach another thing. On that same John 3.16. But continue with the level of faith that you have. Don't go outside the faith. Many people have shipwrecked the ministry that God committed to them. Because God wanted them to preach, they wanted to teach. They swayed away from preaching and went to teach. Some people, God wanted them to teach the certain doctrines. They left that doctrine and went to look for leadership to teach. And before long, they cannot hear from God again. So what are they looking at now? Textbooks from Harvard to teach, to preach. And they tell you that, oh boy, look, let me tell you something. The Bible and science are one and the same. It's a lie. Science and the Bible, they don't agree. Science is based on experimentation, experimentation and facts deduced from an experiment. The Bible is faith from start to finish. We don't experiment with the Bible. We believe and we go. We jump into it. Praise the name of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 10, 24 to 25, <clears throat> the Lord Jesus begins to tell us the things to expect as a result of handling the baton. Which is why many people drop the baton. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, that is the god of flies, that's what they call Jesus, how much more will they call those of his household? Are they calling you names? You are in wonderful company. Ah, you've not heard names they've called me before. They've called names that you, you, it is unlawful to mention with your mouth. But they've called it. In John chapter 15, 18 to 25, the Lord again repeats the same thing. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. What is he saying there? Why are you hated? Because Jesus was hated. You are hated because Christ is in you. If the world is loving you, we must, we must then deduce 
that Christ is no longer in you. I think I've told you the story before of a friend of mine who used to go to, she was a believer, but she used to go to Owambe parties. She just, she just felt there was nothing wrong in it. On one of those occasions, she was in that party around 2 a.m. They were cracking silly jokes and she was laughing and everything. One of the young men there tapped her and said, I just like your bone again. She said, instantly, the Holy Spirit said to, you, to her, you see, now they are liking your bone again. That was the last time she went to Owambe party. How can the world like you? You're born again. And you are happy. He said, they like us now. They like... Why would you they like you? Go and read it. When you get to us, read it properly. The Bible says there was a time everybody feared them. And nobody joined themselves to them. They stayed away. Now, criminals come to a church and are blossoming in the church. Criminals. There's nothing that, that drives them away. Verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Is that in your Bible? Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You are supposed to be hated by the world. Do you know why the world hates you? Because everything you are doing, if indeed the nature of Christ is in you, is speaking conviction to their hearts. They don't pray, you pray. They go to a a public place and they light their cigarette and smoke. We are ashamed to pray in a public place. But they go and do whatever they want to do. They call on whatever name they want to call in a public place. And we are, we are there clapping for them. We, we are not joining them. We are afraid to mention the name of Jesus to them. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Is that in the Bible? Why do we get frustrated that, oh, we are going out to preach and nobody is listening? They are not supposed to listen, but you are to do what? Preach for a testimony against them when they stand before God. Do you understand? Some will change, but a large majority will never, they will laugh at you. You keep going. You keep going. I keep going to that school compound. Every Sunday I keep going there. Maybe one day I will see one person. One day, my prayer is, Lord, I just need one. And I need a linchpin. That once that fellow is grabbed into the kingdom, all the others cannot but follow. I don't need 2,000. I just need one. All the Lord Jesus needed was who? Saul of Tarsus. That was all he needed. And look at the Gentile world today. So keep going. Preach to A, preach to B, preach to C. They will slap you. They will abuse you. It wasn't John Wesley. John Wesley rode on horsebacks. When it was forbidden, he used to go and preach in people's churches. When they heard what he was preaching, as far as they were concerned, it was heresy. They threw him out. Nobody opened his, their pulpit to him again. So he will carry, uh, what do you call it? A soapbox. That's, that is where we got the word soapbox from. It was from John Wesley. Soapboxes were then in crates. He will carry a crate to the market square and stand and begin to preach the word of God. They will carry tomatoes and pellet him, rotten tomatoes that they cannot sell again. They will stone him, remove his and wipe it out. The Lord says, and he will continue to preach. Where, where are those John Wesley's today? We are not existing anymore. One small pellet. Ah, you don't, I, I, I wait. It. When I know no Jesus, they no pellet me with, with tomatoes. <laughs> But that's what, has, that's what has become today. One small pellet and that's it. We are, we, are, we, are, we are upset. We are offended. We just get angry and say, I'm not doing it again. What rubbish is that? And you are, you are sitting there here. here. Don't, don't think that this message is for somebody. You are here. All of you, you are here. One small, one small statement. You don't vex. Say, waiting. Now me kill Jesus. I beg. This pastor said, even just they come, they talk, 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 talk. They can talk. When he finish, I go, go do it and I won't do You know my own prayer? Lord, can you just give me one person who will continue, who I can hand over just one. I don't need two. One. That we can hand over the baton and say, okay, it's time for us to go. You carry on. That's all we need. And it doesn't show on your faces. Verse 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Because they do not know him who sent me. So what should you do? 
go and talk to people about Christ, about God, his gift, his free, his free offer of salvation. Go and tell them. Just continue to speak, continue to speak. One day they will change. Sometimes, some people will never change, no matter what. When they get to heaven, by the way, you know all those pictures they show us, that when you get to heaven, you see two gates, one gate is a lie. Once you die, your spirit knows where it's going. There's no communication. You know that you are a sinner. This is where you are going. You are not going to be queuing on the side of heaven, whether when I get there I can't. You, you, your spirit will take you there because that's where you belong. All that we do, the man has died. The man died on uh, Monday. We say, no, we, we, can't, we don't have enough money to bury him. You see that Monday? Eh? If he died at, say, 5 a.m., that 5 a.m., as he was closing his eyes here, he has, he has appeared wherever, hell or heaven. So those long, long stories as if they are dragging him on a journey is a lie. Instantly, he's where he is. One preacher said once that he went to a funeral. And when he got to the funeral, they were, people would throw clothes. He said, for that journey, where you would need change of clothes, they throw cloth inside the coffin. And that sort of people will come and put food. You will need to eat a lot on that journey. They will put food. He said, look, at, look, have you seen this food? Said, what are they doing? After you have thrown all those things, at night, the grave diggers, they don't fear cops. You are the one afraid of cops. They will come and open the thing, throw the, remove the cops from the coffin, throw it into the ground, carry the coffin and the clothes and everything you have thrown inside, and go and clean and resell. You don't know that. You say he buried, he buried my mouth inside gold coffin. Go and check that grave. Because you will never go there. Sure, you know you will never go there. They will crack it open that night. They have, because what they are taking is enough money for them. They will cement it again that night. By the time you come in the morning, you say, oh, they never touch them. If you can open it, your, your dead, the corpse is alone on the ground. They carry the coffin and everything. Verse 22. If I had not spoken to them, they would have no sin. Do you see there? But now they have no excuse for their sin. That's why you speak to the world. Because they are sinners. And they must be sure. what you are doing is to show them that they are sinners. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have sinned and also hated both me and my father. What are miracles for? They are to manifest the presence of God. They are not for sure. So if somebody sees a miracle and doesn't become born again, he is accumulating more judgment on his head. But you don't go and turn miracles to a cheap thing. So much so that the fear of God doesn't enter them anymore. Verse 25 and the last verse for this particular scripture. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a... So are you trying to find out why they hate you? The answer is they hate you without a... There's no reason. They just hate you. Finally, in Galatians 1, 10, the Lord, Jesus, uh, the Lord Jesus writing by Paul said, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, note that, I would not be a born servant of Christ. If you are a man pleaser, you are not a servant of Christ. If you are a servant of Christ, you cannot please men. Understand that. So don't try to please men. You can't please men. Once you're a servant of Christ, you can never please men. They will not be happy, no matter what you do. That's why a lot of uh, prophets, even apostles, they don't have friends. Many, many, if you see an honest preacher who fears God, ask him. He doesn't have friends. Maybe one or two, but they are, he doesn't have many. He cannot belong to a collegiate. It's not possible. Now, that is not to say that a man who is a sadist by nature, or secretive by nature, is considered is a man of God. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not talking of such people. There are some people who, they are so, how do I put it? So self-centered in themselves 
that they don't have any friends. No, we are discussing something serious. Let's conclude. To understand what the Lord Jesus expects us to do on the earth, as per the acts of the apostles, that is the deeds of those who have been sent by the Lord to be his ambassadors, we must appreciate what the Lord Jesus Christ began to do and teach in the era captured in the Gospels, which must be continued by us, even though he completed his own part of the work. Thus, the Acts of the Apostles is a continuity of the things that the Lord began both to do, only in the power of the Holy Spirit, and teach of the Word of God, the doctrine of Christ. The essence of noting that is that anything you are doing outside of the Holy Spirit, is not, is, you, are not, you are not continuing anything. Any word you teach outside of the Word of God, you are not continuing any teaching. We must, however, quickly note that there is an aspect of the work of God that the Lord came to do on the earth, which he completed and which we are not expected to do anything about other than to tell people about it. We may from time to time be involved in certain things which would be our own contribution to what the Lord would have us to do on behalf of others. But that does not confer upon us the title of Savior or Deliverer or Healer and so on. We've put First Corinthians 3, 4 to 11 there. Please go home and read it. It simply says, that the people were talking of, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of Kephas, and so on and so forth. He's saying Christ is not divided. You cannot say, I'm of this, I'm of here, I'm of there. No. It is God who chooses. One person sows, another man waters, God gives the increase. Both the sower and the, what do you call him now? The, the sower and the waterer, they are both servants of God. No other foundation can anyone lay, but that which is laid, Christ, that's what he's saying. Christ is the foundation. Christ is the Savior. He's the deliverer. He's the healer. He's the Lord. Think as a person say, did Christ die for, for uh, did, 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 did Peter die for anyone? Did Paul die for anyone? Only one person died for us, Christ. The acts, actions, activities, deeds, ministry of the apostles, those called, chosen, sanctified, and sent, are not carnal acts. Neither are they the fulfillment of fleshly desires. Like some people have a desire, say, well, I want to build the biggest church in the world. That's not what we are talking about here. Nor the meeting of the needs of the world apart from the need to be delivered from sin and its consequences. We must understand one thing. The greatest need of the world is deliverance from sin. It's not a car. It's not a new house. It's deliverance. I, 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 was, I was told sometime that in the 60s, when they were having riots, civil, civil riots about blacks and whites in America, and um, Martin Luther King was championing the thing. Bill, Billy Graham made a comment which they almost toned him for. He said that what Martin Luther King was doing, as laudable as it is, was a futile effort. That only when the hearts of men are turned to Christ will there cease to be discrimination amongst blacks and whites. And that is the truth. You can try everything. You, can. you cannot legislate racism. You can't. People are racist by nature. People are ethnic by nature. They are nepotic by nature. You can't legislate against it. Rather, the Acts of the Apostles is all about the Acts of the Holy Spirit through those who have been called, chosen, sanctified, and sent by the Lord to accomplish the will of the Father, meeting the Father's desire to make known to a dying world His free offer of salvation through Christ, so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And his longing for fellowship with man. We need to tell people, well, I'm not asking you to give your life to Christ so that you can come and fill the church. No! Church is crucial, but that is not the reason. The sole reason is this. God created you. 
He longs to have fellowship with you. But in your state, he cannot have fellowship. You are a sinner. You therefore must be washed in the blood of Jesus totally and completely and set free from sin. Then you can have lasting fellowship with God. That's the purpose. And after you have now been born again, the essence of church now comes in. In the church, we now teach you this is how to talk to God. This is how to meet with God. Church is not to tell you that you are going to be rich. For what purpose? That's why many people are leaving the church now. They were promised wealth. And they have been there for years and they are poor. So what are they doing now? They are getting angry with God and leaving. But people told them lies. Our role as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in this present age is therefore to faithfully, faithfully continue from where the early church and the church since then have left off. Like a link in a chain, this generation must link up with the appropriate chain of God's work through the ages and maintain the integrity of that chain, the work of God for all ages. To this end, we cannot claim to be continuing in the work of God if we are not continuing in the steps of the apostles of old as is written in the word of God, particularly the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Hence, our study of the book of the Acts of the Apostles will enable us to see what the apostles of old did and how they went about it and to continue from there. Praise the name of the Lord. For the next few minutes, we've said quite a bit. I want us to pray. I want you to pray. I want you to talk to God about the button that he handed over to the apostles. The things he began to do, the things he began to teach. Talk to him about that button and say to him, Lord, don't let me drop the button. Don't let me drop the button. If I am holding on to thread, let me throw it away. Let me hold on to your word. Like the Bible admonishes us in Titus. It says, hold fast to the word of God. Lord, let's hold fast to your word. Not to a thread. Not to some empty thing. Not to some teachings from Harvard or from university somewhere. But Lord, your word. Not even a theological explanation that has no, no, that has no footing in scripture. Ask the Almighty God. To ensure for you that the button that you are holding, first and foremost, is the word of God. The continuation of what the Lord Jesus started. And secondly, that you will not drop it, but rather will hand it over to faithful men who will continue with that. Because the day it drops, the ministry has terminated. If the ministry terminates in your hand before the coming of Christ, then we have a problem on our hands. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord, brethren. Pray. Pray. As you have heard of the word of God. That you will not allow yourself to become confused with convoluted things. Men speaking all kinds of things into our hearing. And we believe it erroneously that what they are saying makes sense number of times, God doesn't really make sense to the human mind. Talk to the Lord, talk to the Lord, talk to the Lord. Father, this pattern of your work, this pattern of your work that you transferred from your son Jesus to the early apostles, to the early church, and to some other great men of God over, over the ages, Lord, transfer it unto me also. And let me not drop it let me not lose it. Let me look for faithful men that I can hand it over to. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord, brethren. Talk to the Lord.
you are talking to the Lord, I want you to pray that the integrity of the chain of the work and word of God will not be diminished. But that integrity will be maintained. That high standard that God has set for His word and His work that will be maintained. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord, brethren. Let us, the Almighty God, to maintain the integrity of His work and of His word. That men and women who are only after what they can get will not touch that part. Only faithful men who care about the word and work of God.
Let's groom them and grow them. 